0: So in early 2022, almost out of nowhere, I started experiencing massive changes in my body and mental health. My hair was thinning and falling out faster than ever before. I was experiencing mood fluctuations. I was putting on body fat, losing strength and muscle mass, I was even having a harder time remembering certain people's names and things that I knew I knew. My face looked older and I had more wrinkles and there was a noticeable decrease in my sex drive. And then one of the guests that I had on our podcast introduced me to a product called BioPro Plus that naturally boosts your IGF-1 and human growth hormone levels. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and check out episode 265 on how to increase HGH, boost libido, and experience 68% better recovery with Dustin Baker. BioPro Plus contains a combination of powerful, natural ingredients for boosting HGH, human growth hormone, and IGF-1, like elk antler, tribulus, and shilajit, all in their purest and most potent forms. What's interesting is elk antlers are the only mammalian appendage capable of continuous regeneration. These antlers grow an inch or more per day and have the fastest growth rate of any organ in the animal kingdom. I started taking one glass vial every morning and holding it under my tongue for 90 seconds before swallowing. And before I'd even finished my first kit, I was getting compliments on my skin and how I looked five to 10 years younger. You can even go back and look at some of my social media videos from earlier this year and you'll see how big of a difference there is. Since then, my energy has increased. I feel more motivated. My libido and sex drive came back. I've been losing fat. I'm stronger and recovering faster from my workouts and my hair is coming in thick thicker and it even stopped falling out. If my story resonates with you, I highly recommend you try BioPro Plus for yourself. When you feel it, you'll understand what I'm talking about. And for a limited time, you can save $30 on your order by going to bioproteintech.com and entering discount code BIOHACKS. That's B I O P R O T E I N T E C H.com and discount code BIOHACKS. Now, back to the show. Your life and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are worthless. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now right. your fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking secret Show. <laughs> Dr. Megan Rossi, welcome to the Biohacking Secrets Show.
1: It's an absolute pleasure.
0: We're going to talk about all things gut health, as you are the gut health doctor. But before we get good, into the... Good.
1: we're in the right place.
0: Yes, you've come to the right place, my boy. Before we get into all the fun stuff, can you give us a little bit of your backstory for our listeners who may not be familiar with your work?
1: Yeah, look, so I first got to gut health before it was sexy, um, about 15 or so years ago. And actually, it was a bit of a, a negative, you know, first encounter with the gut, Um, I mean, you know, subconsciously I had many really positive encounters with the gut. I grew up on a farm in Australia where good gut health is very much inherent to my upbringing, playing in the dirt, fresh fruit, all that sort of stuff. But actually my first conscious encounter with the gut was 15 or so years ago when sadly I lost my grandma to bowel cancer. And I was in my final year studying nutrition and dietetics and I was just so struck that we didn't really learn that much about the gut during my degree even though that's where food goes in your gut, right? And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I started working as a dietitian, both in the hospital setting with all different types of conditions from different cancers to diabetes, mental health issues, weight management issues. But also I was very fortunate to be the dietitian for the Australian Olympic Cyclone Swimming Team. And oh. what I found so striking is that these people of all different backgrounds were coming to me complaining of the gut. I thought, gosh, this organ's haunting me. You know what is it? And that was two thousand and ten. So there hadn't been a whole lot of gut health research really surfacing at that stage. So I thought, you know what, I owe it to my grandma and to my, you know, patients to find out more about this organ. So I signed away in my early 20s to doing a PhD in the area, looking at whether we target the gut through the right nutrition, whether that can improve not just the health of our gut in terms of symptoms, but things like our heart health, our kidney function, our mental health.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: it was really that PhD that transformed everything for me. It became so clear that I can improve people's lives in very real and often surprising ways by targeting the gut. And the gut wasn't something that was horrible and evil. It was just misunderstood. So at that point, I knew I wanted to dedicate the rest of my career to gut health and helping people, really empowering them with the information so they can maximize their gut health to reap all of the benefits we're now seeing attached to having a healthy gut
0: Yeah, fascinating and i mean i had that it was around that time where around 2010 was when i went real deep into radically upgrading my nutrition and a lot of my habits and and cutting back on some of the things that weren't necessarily serving me or 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 my health and what was funny is it's at the beginning it felt like the healthier choices i thought i was making the worse my gut health got and i remember like i would eat it it got to the point where I would eat salads and like I would like pass undigested salad when I went number two and I was experiencing all sorts of like gas and bloating. I'm like, what is this? I used to eat like not that good, and I felt like I never had any gut issues. And then the healthier and healthier I've got, and the more I've worked out and you know, gone kind of whatever you want to call it, caveman paleo, whatever it was, I'm like all of a sudden I'm experiencing all these gut issues. You know, and it seems like that's a common pattern with a lot of people where they start making healthier decisions and then all of a sudden they're having more health and gut related issues.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think there's this whole world of really misunderstanding in terms of how plants, which actually can be really beneficial for our gut. For some people, if you've got a very sensitive gut, they can cause a little bit of stress. I think, you know, the best way to liken it to is working out the gym. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you don't really go to the gym, you go have a really hard session, you do crazy weights, you come away from that the next day or the 48 hours after you're like, I cannot walk. I feel absolutely awful because your muscles haven't been trained. And that's actually what we see with plants and our gut is if we go from not having many plants to quite a lot of plants, then actually our gut does not, because it's a muscle after all, our gut, it has not been trained to digest it in an efficient way to mm-hmm. therefore have those health benefits. And then we get things like bloating, altered stool, not feeling great. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I don't know whether we'll go into this later, but I guess the mechanism behind you know, the plants and where we're getting these symptoms is that when we eat plants, human cells can't digest them. You know, we actually, they p- travel through most of our 9-meter digestive tract undigested because we just weren't equipped with the digestive enzymes. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, the finer part of our intestine, called the large intestine, we have those trillions of bacteria. They have the enzymes uniquely, those bacteria, to actually digest that fiber. And when they digest mm-hmm. the fiber, they produce all of these beneficial chemicals, but they also produce gas, just, start, just like a waste product. Mm-hmm. And... That gas, particularly if you're not used to it and you've got a sensitive gut, you go from a lot of fiber, I mean, not much fiber to a lot of fiber, it stretches out your intestine. And that's where some of those kind of unwanted symptoms, um, you know, can come into play. But I've not met a gut that I haven't been able to teach to eat loads of plants. It's just a training process, essentially.
0: Yeah. And there's so much information, there's so much conflicting information out there now. I mean, there's a lot of people that have experienced tremendous health benefits with by going carnivore and like completely cutting out plants. You've got Dr. Stephen Gundry talking about the plant paradox and saying all these plants have chemicals that they use to protect themselves and you're essentially poisoning yourself if you eat these plants. And then there's a lot of other people saying, no, like we need those those prebiotics and and that fiber to clean out the gut. And, and if it doesn't net directly feed us, it's feeding these good bacteria as opposed to inflammatory uh, pathogens and, and, and bacteria in the gut. I mean, how do you kind of break that down and make sense of it? Is, is there a one-size-fits-all approach? Or what are some of the principles that apply to the greatest cross-section of people? And how do we make sense of all this conflicting information?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm so happy you raised that because I get why people are so confused. And, you know, I'm a researcher by background. I never thought I would be on social media and doing public engagement and all of this sort of stuff. I literally got so you know I I moved over from Australia to the UK to work as a research fellow at King's College in London, and I continued to work there. But about a year it being into um, you know working there, I just I started to get frustrated that just like the amazing research that was being done, it just wasn't being translated to the public. There was that real lack of scientific translation. So that's when I set onto social media, you know, to help do some of that public translation. So. I am really passionate about getting that scientific evidence out there. And I know there are so many, you know, different schools of thought, but I guess, you know, that the, the plant paradox concept, and I guess one of the, the principles actually is that I don't advocate plants only diet. I mean, I understand why someone might want to be plants only for um, religious, cultural, environmental reasons, all of that sort of stuff, um, you know, animal cruelty. Uh, but mm-hmm. I'm just you know, the things I'm going to be focusing on is very much just on the science around human health. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, firstly, that's the plant paradox concept. You know, there there is literally studies with millions and millions of people, you know, reviewing their diet. And they've shown that people who eat more plants live longer, live happier, have stronger mm-hmm. immune systems, less likely to get sick from COVID, all of that sort of stuff. And they're eating mm-hmm. these plants which are meant to be toxic. Now, his premise for a lot of these toxins, like lectins, for example, you know, is Mm -hmm. based on a little bit of test tube study, but it doesn't translate into our food supply, all the foods we're having. And there is not a human intervention controlled unblinded study or blinded study that has shown that these toxins in the way that humans would consume them, you know, in actual food supply actually can do damage. So I think for me, I call out the fact that there's no randomized control trial suggesting what he's suggesting is harmful. But I always come back to the research because for me, it's independent, it's protective, right? Um, so that's kind of where I kind of yeah see, see these kind of trends as like, okay, they might be based on some test tube studies, but most test tube studies don't translate into human research. So I need to see a human research study in order to be like, okay, this is the this is what we're saying. And yeah, you know what? There is going to be individualized elements to it. You know, some people might do better with having more animal products in their diet or less animal products in their diet. Absolutely, and that's why I'm not necessarily about, you know, having this very strict way of eating, but um, there is a few key principles that I talk about in the new book, How to Eat More Plants. And the, and the first one is enjoying mostly plants, but like I said, does it need to be only plants? Um, mm-hmm. And this is all based on you know the body of scientific research, it's included the millions of people. But it's not, they're saying you have to just eat only plants because I know everyone's very different and some people, um, actually most people, things like oily fish actually are really beneficial in terms of not just our gut health but our mental health. We've got loads of clinical trials around that, independent clinical trials. Um, so I think, yeah, there are those key principles that I think are the foundation. The second one is that diversity, because we know that our gut bacteria, if we don't eat any plants, they do narrow down. They mm-hmm. reduce down their skills, because the, the plants – feed the gut bacteria, they're fertiliser for them. Yes, the fiber um, is you know, the key component, the backbone of, of plants, and there's not just one type of fiber. So just taking a fiber supplement's not going to do the trick. There's like close to 100 different types of fibers. Then we've got all these things called polyphenols and phytochemicals, which is like you know tens of thousands of them, and the pharmaceutical world haven't been able to catch up to make them put them all in pills, so a lot of them we have mm-hmm. to get from plants. All mm-hmm. of these things feed our gut bacteria. Um, so yeah, the, the science is you know really clear out there. If you're not eating these plants, you're going to narrow down those bacteria
0: and-, and your body's super efficient. So like it stops, if, if you don't need certain digestive enzymes because you're not eating those foods, your body's not going to waste a whole bunch of energy making those digestive enzymes. Cause they're like, she's not eating them. He's not eating them. Why would we keep producing these? That is a waste of energy. And then, you know, if you try reintroducing them, then your body's going to be like, oh, I I suddenly can't handle this food, you know, but it's really just it's the body being an energy conservation machine.
1: Like the gym, again, coming back to that analogy of the muscles, like Mm -hmm. if we stop using the muscles, then they'll just go away. The same with the digestive enzymes. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's why, again, I advocate that we go slow and steady when we're reintroducing these foods that we've you know seen the human studies are showing healthy for us. Um, and we want to have them, but don't go gung ho because you're going to get these symptoms. And for some people, you know what? They don't care about the symptoms. Like, yeah, I've been uploading, ultra poops. I know my body's just training, going to get through it. They don't care about that. Like the muscle soreness that you get at the gym. They want to go hard and heavy. I'm like, go, you do you. Do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. But for other people who are like, actually, that's going to put me off, you know, mm-hmm. sudden, so literally a tablespoon of, you know, legumes each day. Second week, mm-hmm. another tablespoon each day. Um, and building up your bacteria's enzyme capacity because they can groom enzymes really impressively, but it does take a bit of time to teach them.
0: Totally, that's a great point. I like you. You made me sort of realize and contrast if we were if we were to go back like a little bit more than a decade. I went. I, I, I bought into all of this and I went hardcore paleo and cut out all the phytates and the lectins and I didn't touch beans for a long time. And then I was just like, my world is, and my nutrition is getting too small. You know, it's, I'm, I'm a big believer that like either our world is con- expanding or it's contracting but it's it's very rarely just static and i was like my diet is contracting and contracting and contracting and i'm having more and more foods that i'm cutting out so i was just like f this and i remember one night i made a whole bunch of lentils for dinner and then i was headed out to like an event and i hadn't had beans in like a year so i had i literally had just lentils for dinner and i'm at this event and i feel like <laughs> in my stomach and i'm like uh oh and i went down to the bathroom and like doubled over. I couldn't even stand up. My stomach hurt so bad. I had to call a buddy and I'm like, dude, can you come down here and pay my tab? I'm going to try to like crawl to my car and drive home. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not functioning right now. He's like, where are you? I'm like, I'm in the bathroom. I'm in the men's stall. (laughs) I'm like, it's a bad situation. And I drove home with the seat completely reclined. I could barely see over the steering wheel as I drove home. I pulled over at one point and, and Ralph out of the side of the car. And, um, and then, of course, my knee-jerk reaction was like, beans are bad, you know? But it's like, no, I'd cut out beans for a year. My body had stopped producing all of the things that are necessary to digest, assimilate, and absorb beans. And then literally last night, I had a huge bowl of beans that had been soaked and cooked for a long period of time properly the way that that they were traditionally prepared. And I felt freaking great, yeah. you know? So it's it, it is recognizing that your body is dynamic and can handle anything you put in it. And if you're, if, if, if your nutrition is contracting so many times, I think we're compensating for other stuff, other things that are going on. And we're just using the same tools of nutrition, exercise, exercise, sleep and that sort of thing to try to compensate when it may not actually be the root cause of why we're having trouble processing a variety of foods that our ancestors have eaten for thousands of years.
1: Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, I see it in clinics all the time where people with things like irritable bowel syndrome, which is like 10% of people, you know, they come mm-hmm. to me like, it's my diet. You know, I just can't eat certain foods. They're triggering me. And I'm like, you know what? We can touch on your diet. We know that there's a diet that can be therapeutic, but it's a bit of a mm-hmm. band aid thing. You know, if we Good don't point. treat the underlying cause, and now scientifically we know the underlying cause of IBS is a dysfunction between the gut and the brain.
2: Mm-hmm. There's
1: literally millions, hundreds of millions of nerves that come from our gut uh, and our brain. They're double connected, right? There's two mm-hmm. way communication, and with IBS, mm-hmm. we now know uh, that there is a disconnection between the two, and that can happen because you've had high-dose antibiotics or got a gut infection that's kind of dysregulated that, or because you've had chronic trauma and stress. And actually, what mm-hmm. the scientific studies have shown to really beat things like IBS, you know, it's not just band-aiding your diet, it's working on the gut-brain axis. So there's actually been randomised control trials looking at gut-directed hypnotherapy and gut-directed yoga flows, which actually have been really strongly um, advocated for in terms of their, their therapeutic benefit. Um, and mm-hmm. the scientific world to back those sorts of like hippy-dippy therapies, you know, mm-hmm. the evidence is quite strong for them. So it's not always, not always die in terms of gut symptoms. It's often working, you know, with both elements to some degree.
0: mm mm-hmm hundred percent. And, and this is, so this next part, I'm going to put out there that these are the opinions of uh, these aren't your opinions. These are just my thoughts and my hypotheses. You also see how much information is suppressed, especially on social media with, with all the shadow banning and everything going on. Now you can see what topics they don't let get out to people. And many of those topics have a direct connection with gut health. And these are my opinions um, and from what I've seen reflected, not just in like the work that we do with clients, but in the scientific literature, when when you dig into it, I think all the devices that we are now, this electromagnetic soup that we are now surrounded with, it sends the nervous system into sympathetic dominance. And when our bodies think that we're being chased by a lion constantly, they start cutting back on their production of stomach acid and digestive enzymes. They sent. they partition blood to the brain and muscles because they think we need to fight flight or, f- you know, a freeze <laughs> essentially, and your digestion suffers and it has a big impact. We've got all these herbicides and pesticides in our food that then kill the bacteria in our gut. And if you're eating a whole bunch of Roundup and you're trying to compensate by cutting foods out of your diet, you're not even looking in the right place. You know, but if you go talking about that stuff, you don't, you don't see a lot of people talking about that in mainstream health information. Cause you know, Monsanto's a big company and everybody's scared, you know? Um, and then the bullshit in our water also kills the gut microbiome. You've got chlorine and fluoride, like stuff that they put in to disinfect pools. People are drinking it and they're showering in it. And then they're like, why does my digestion suck? Well, it's, it's like a Schwarzenegger movie on your good bacteria. And the answer is not all of a sudden, you know, go tell your grandparents that you can't eat kale or, you know, you have, you have all these reactions to foods. They're going to act like you're crazy. It's the world we're living in is, is in many cases, just it's, it's. We're being bombarded with toxins. Many of those toxins attack our nervous system and our gut microbiome. And we need to recognize that and 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 start talking about what's really going on in order to truly address the root cause, or we're always going to be throwing compensatory tools at it rather than addressing what's throwing us off in the first place and killing the good guys that are trying to trying their best to help us lead happy and healthy lives.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, some of the things just to pick up on I think is really interesting is around our food supply, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So there is, you know, hundreds of different food additives that have been classified as grass, generally regarded as safe, Um, but all of those safety tests were done before we understood about our gut microbiome. So they've been tested Mm -hmm. on like human metabolism side. So actually, they have now been, because we know the microbiome is so important, they're now all undergoing like a a review of the safety of them. And some of the work that Mm -hmm. we're doing at King's is actually looking at specific types called emulsifiers, um, which is in like 30% of our processed foods. And Mm -hmm. this is based on some pilot studies, which have actually shown these emulsifiers can actually do damage to, to our gut microbiome, particularly in those who are more genetically susceptible. Um, so we're actually a world first clinical trial looking at these types. Um, to have a Is that like oh, is
0: that like Lestra and some of those weird fats, or is this something different?
1: That's yeah, no, that that does include include them. Any sort of like um, thickness, the yeah, the emulsification process. The, um, yeah, and I mean there's. Other research groups are looking at different categories of these, you know, uh, food additives because like, you know, many different types and, and mechanisms behind that. But to really kind of narrow down to get some real data, we need to look mm-hmm. at these subgroups. So we're looking at the mm-hmm. emulsifying group. Um, so yeah, I think it is a really, really interesting time for for food industry to have a look at, you know, all these extra things that have been added to our food. And you know, I know it's not realistic for everyone to cook from scratch. Like, I'm super busy all the time and mm-hmm. all of that sort of stuff. But, you know, that's in the book. There's a lot of really simple recipes that take, like, 10 minutes without the additives. Like, instead of buying all these sauce packets, literally, you know, whipping together, you know, some avocado, maybe even a bit of parmesan, some garlic, and then chuck it into some veg or some stir-fry mix. Like, these really simple types of flavor combinations, you know, can – transform your gut health without all these like extra additives. So I'm Mm -hmm. all about trying to make really simple um, and easy recipes accessible to people because I want them to appreciate that this whole, you know, fast food world is not uh, as healthy um, as I guess we've been led to believe.
0: Totally, and that is so. Your book's available on Amazon. It's how to eat more plants, transform your health with 30 plant-based foods per week, and why it's easier than you think. And Amazon is the best place to get that. Yes,
1: or all your, all your, you know, local bookstores is always nice. Um, you know, to support the the smaller guys, it's been very hard with COVID, but yeah, you can you can get it on Amazon.
0: Awesome, and that's more my speed too. Is like I don't. When I cook, it's super simple. Like when I was down in North Carolina, everybody there has a garden, and they're like, they're almost all organic, and it's and they've got more stuff than they even know what to do with. Like they're trying to give it away. So I was staying at this spiritual retreat Airbnb, and they're just giving me all sorts of squash and zucchini and all beets and all these awesome, awesome veg. And I brought them all back and just cooked up a huge pot of like squash and zucchini and some. We had some some saved uh, bacon fat. And, you know, we use that for flavor and I kind of dressed it up and and made a nice dish, but I don't like cooking for more than like 10 or 15 minutes max. And it's usually, you're lucky if you get me to cook one meal a day. So I love that you've kind of made it where it's simple, it's easy. And you're honest, you're like, you're not doing some Betty Crocker thing where you got to go run to like four grocery stores to get all these ingredients and exotic, you know, things. And then it's this wild process. You're like, I'm busy. I want to eat healthy and I want to take healthy. eating
1: be prohibitive. Whereas I think there is this concept Mm -hmm. to, to eat more plants and to be healthy, you have to go to all these like fancy fast food, uh, fancy health food stores and pay crazy Mm -hmm. amounts of money. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's just not the case.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's my, my reflection. And part of the reason that we're doing this North Carolina thing is because it, it, we want to grow more of our own stuff. And I'm still gonna be lazy. I'm still gonna juice a lot of the time and and eat you know raw when possible and maybe cook one meal a day max, but i don't I don't want you know whole foods to become whole paycheck and and I recognize the vulnerability in relying on other people to provide me with my food long term and it may not ever be an issue, you know what I mean, but we're seeing how these prices have been going up, and we know how important it is to not just eat for, for you know, to not just consume clean food, but also to consume food that is high in the sun's electricity. That's like close to the time it's been picked. And, you know, I mean, I've talked to people who have, who have gotten rid of cancer when they've had it. And some of the things that they have credited in their journey, uh, in their healing journey, were like, they blessed their food. Every time they ate, they set an intention and put that energy into the food before they consumed it. I think there's a lot going on here that we're just scratching the surface on. And the more that we can have an intimate relationship with the things we're putting into our body, it can only help support our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual growth. You know yeah
1: look I mean and you know I'm a scientist has always liked to draw the science in there there is science that shows that you know kids that grow up on farms are less likely to get allergies uh, less mm-hmm. likely to be obese and all the other factors that we're seeing and one of the key mm-hmm. mechanisms of that is that on the farms you know on your ranch you're exposed to more dirt you're playing all the you know with the all the animals and you're exposing your body to a lot more microorganisms and mm-hmm these microorganisms essentially teach your immune system what it should be reacting to and what it shouldn't be reacting to. And, you know, autoimmune mm-hmm. conditions are at an all-time high because we've been, like, too clean with um, mm-hmm. a lot of our environments, particularly with kids growing up, and therefore kids haven't been exposed to all these microbes to train their immune system properly. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I grew up on a farm, and I'm awful. I've got a little boy, and I'm, like, living in London now thinking – We need to be moving out to get him, you know, to play in the dirt, you know, and it's not always possible for everyone, but if there is a forest nearby, making a habit once a week to literally go in there, get amongst the dirt, you know, get a pet, you know, furry pets, again, people who grow up with furry pets are much likely to have allergies because they're more exposed to different microbes to train their immune system, 70% of which lives in our gut with the bacteria.
0: Wait, you're saying people with, people with furry pets are less likely to have allergies? Yeah. There you go. It's that. Yeah. The same thing, the more, the more we start cutting out stuff we're reacting to it almost, it's, it's, it's a short-term perceived gain, usually at our long-term expense. 100%
1: 100% that's rather such than a asking like,
0: why, why am I reacting to all this Yeah, stuff?
1: that's 100% so accurate you know mm-hmm. we go to extremes with all of this and yeah it doesn't pay off at all it has the opposite effect we get this very vicious cycle and again I see it in clinic with people think they've got these food intolerances and they do these very invalid IgG tests which literally the World Immunology Association said they're invalid mm-hmm. do not do them IgG is a mm-hmm. micro-tolerance that you've actually ingested that food but anyway it's another topic um, but they come to mm-hmm. me And they've narrowed down, like you said, their their eating window so much that, you know, some of my patients with really extreme ones, their hair started to fall out. And she actually went on this journey of health because she wanted to have really luscious hair. She did at the start, and it just got worse and worse. So the thing she was Mm – her goal was she would have been destroyed by that journey of, yeah, being misled.
0: So I think a lot of people can relate to that because – they'll they'll start doing healthier and healthier things like i mentioned earlier and in this case like they'll start actually experiencing hair loss or thinning of hair. So in that example if anyone's listening and they've been they've been following our podcast or your work for a while and they're like yeah that's happening to me like my hair is thinning. What what do you think is going on there at the um at the cellular level or, or what are you seeing in the science that could be, could be explaining that? Yeah,
1: essentially it's, it's malnutrition and I'm not just talking about, you know, mm-hmm. the 20 or so vitamins you get in getting a pill. I'm talking about the tens of thousands of these phytochemicals, these beneficial chemicals mm-hmm. that are, you know, preventing our body or protecting our body from all the environmental damage that we're constantly faced with all of the inflammation, mm-hmm. these microorganisms, mm-hmm. Um, we're actually produced by plants to protect the plants from their environmental damage. So that's essentially mm-hmm. how they work in our body to also protect us. Um, so, yeah, it is, It is. you know, we've got the science to show that getting in that diverse range of plants, um, you know, making your diet full of abundance, adding more in actually has all of these health benefits. And, you know, a simple example is. Um, you know, with lycopene, so it's a, um, a type of chemical found in things like tomatoes, papaya, you know, um, watermelon, and it's really powerful in terms of protecting our skin from UV damage, but it's even further enhanced in terms of our ability to absorb it if we add it with a healthy fat, so something like nuts and seeds or avocado. So combining mm-hmm. these plants together actually have this enhanced benefit um, and again, that's, totally. that's that principle of you know the abundance, that diversity, um, about more how to eat more plants, that sort of concept.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it was Matt. This, oh God, it's probably a decade ago now. But Matt Lalonde did. It might have been at the Ancestral Health Symposium, but he did an awesome, awesome presentation on the trade-off between. Um, like when we, when we cook our food, we see an increase in bioavailability and it, but a decrease in nutrient content. And, and, and then he also kind of took this, this whole concept of nutrient density and, and the reason that like most of us are not even looking at it the right way. And he kind of created his own model. And it was, it was just a fascinating talk, but um, the way that he broke it down, you kind of reminded me of that for anyone that like wants to nerd out and kind of go back. He's, he's a pretty sharp guy. And um, it was, it was a great presentation, but I'm curious, like we have farmers, you grew up on a farm and farmers like deworm their cattle multiple times a year usually around a full moon. Um most people that have dogs are on some sort of deworming protocol for their canines and it's pretty well documented that most animals experience some sort of parasite habitation especially if there's no measures taken. It's it's very rarely talked about with humans. And and I think in part because most of us are like no no no, I don't have those. Um and then, and then when you get into things like inflammatory bacterial overgrowth, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, perhaps fungal overgrowths like candida, um, what role? I mean, do you think that this, that these these things have a place in this discussion? Um, because theoretically, we're talking about stuff that could be living in our gut, eating our food, and producing metabolic waste of its own that we then have to deal with.
1: Yeah, very interesting point. So when we talk about gut microbiome, like a lot of the science to date has been just on the bacterial component. But we also Yeah, have, no
0: one talks about the yeah, other stuff.
1: Because we haven't like, researched it, right? But there is the virus component, mm-hmm. we call it the virome, the fungal component, mm-hmm. we call it the microbiome. And even there is some parasites that are thought to be beneficial for us. So yes, you can get the bad parasites, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, But Mm -hmm. this synergistic effect of all of these different types of microorganisms is something that we still haven't really tapped into. But there have been Mm -hmm. some studies which actually suggested that um, people with certain types of beneficial parasites actually had a lower risk of inflammatory bowel disease. So it was the first time that we thought, actually, even though we've mostly associated parasites as being really bad, and yes, they can be, just like viruses, COVID-19, a really bad one. A lot of them actually, we think, can have a benefit, and they synergistically mm-hmm. work with the fungal component and you know the bacterial component, but that interrelationship mm-hmm. we haven't really been able to tap into yet. And I think in the next decade, we'll have so much more understanding. I mean, even the bacteria, the bacterial component, there's still like 40% of bacteria living in our gut. We have not named. We don't know what they do. Like, there's mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. we still don't quite understand. And, um, you know, things with, like, um, the fungal sort of SIBO, so um, the small bacterial overgrowth or the fungal overgrowth, that sort of stuff, yes, again, we definitely see that where these microorganisms, what they've done is they crawl too high up. So... So it's nine meter-long digestive mm-hmm. tract, the last 1.5 meters, the large intestine is where most of them live, as I mentioned. Um, but sometimes they we've got this little trapdoor that that kind of makes the back, like these microbes kind of keep in that back end. Um, and then if they mm-hmm. can crawl out badly, they got this small intestine part, which is not very resilient to these microbes living there. So if the trapdoor is a little bit mm-hmm. funky, it doesn't work very well for a number of reasons. Um, what happens mm-hmm. is these microbes cool up the wrong way, then they start to ferment our food, produce extra gas, and cause irritation for our small intestine, which is why we get all of these symptoms with SIBO and, and the fungal component of that as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the more, and I've, I've been on both sides of this along the continuum, where a, a, on a philosophical level, I feel like anytime we're looking at something that is inside of us as a problem. I don't know. It, 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 it essentially turns, we, we turn the gun on ourselves mm. energetically at least. And so often when you look at nature, we have, we're incredibly resilient creatures and, and yeah, like anything that could be labeled as quote unquote bad, it's never black and white. And there, there may be cases where, Sure, it could be producing things that contribute to inflammation or other health conditions, but there's probably also a, an equivalent benefit that we may or may not have discovered. And our bodies are pretty good at living in harmony with other living things, especially if they exist inside so they of us. They challenge
1: us to some extent. An example of that is with the leptin. So this is, you know, as you as you mm. mentioned about the um, why some people say, all oh, plants are really bad. Now, you know if you mm-hmm. prep legumes in the right way, then actually ninety-eight percent of the lectins have gone, but they might contain small amounts. But totally. what we see in testing <laughs> studies, and I know they don't always translate, but mechanistically, is that some of these lectins, as many different types, can actually be anti-inflammatory and anti-cancerous. Um, and we this mm-hmm. with other phytonutrients that they do actually, some of them can challenge our immune system a little bit. So actually maybe you might get a little bit of inflammation as, a, you know, caused by that, but that's to train your body in another way. Um, so I love what you're saying about, yeah, you know what, some of them may have little, you know, what we think is a negative, but actually in the whole overall picture, that's kind of like a challenge state to our body. And that makes us mm-hmm. resilient and better at functioning overall. Um, so mm-hmm. I kind of think there is a lot to say with that about that.
0: Adrenaline dominance is a hormonal imbalance that causes overactivation of the stress hormones adrenaline and cortisol. That stress can come from sleep issues. Too much fasting, not eating enough carbs or calories, poor digestion, food sensitivities, chemicals and toxins, wireless, electrical pollution, drugs, dehydration, infections, or just the insanity of everything going on in the world today and left to their own devices, any combination of these could throw your body into a state of imbalance. But fortunately, we're extremely resilient creatures, and we were given adrenal glands to help neutralize the negative effects of stress. But here's the problem. When we get exposed to chronically high levels of stress, our adrenals can get burned out. And they stop making stress neutralizing hormones the way that they're supposed to. And when these cortical hormones start running out or getting burned out, the emergency hormones of the medulla, like adrenaline, start to take over. And that's where we get a condition like adrenaline dominance. Adrenaline makes you feel overwhelmed, tense, anxious. It increases your respiratory rate, your heart rate makes you feel wired, but tired. It decreases circulation and it raises blood pressure. So essentially it puts you into a state of chronic fight or flight. And your body physiologically feels like you're in constant danger, even when you logically know that you're not. Now over time, this adrenaline dominance can lead to mood fluctuations, depression, anxiety, panic attacks, ADHD, digestive problems, alcohol and drug abuse, low libido, chronic fatigue, and more. So what's the solution? We have to restore healthy adrenal function. This is not something that's done just by taking some adrenal supplement containing adaptogens. We do this by running the right labs to figure out where your stress is coming from so that we can get you out of fight or flight and back to feeling normal. What we do then is we optimize the way that you eat, train, work, and sleep to de-stress your life and allow your adrenals to come back online. And it's personalized based on your labs, your age, your gender, etc. If you feel like you're struggling with adrenaline dominance and you want help, book a free strategy session by going to biohackercoaching.com now and grab a time for us to talk. It's also beneficial and interesting to span out and take a little bit of a 30,000 foot view and say, which of these challenges that we're experiencing in mass were unheard of by our grandparents and great-grandparents and if so how much of this could be environmental or what other changes have taken place that might be contributing
1: amen to that i mean that's what i'm all about like in the, in the research side of things is like for example the mediterranean diet there's literally mm-hmm. all my ancestors your ancestors my ancestors were eating this way yet mm-hmm. they're like you know millions and millions of people thriving Yet then there are, you know, the people saying that certain types of these plants um, or, you know, certain types of animal foods are really bad for us. And like, well, actually, you know, if we look to what our ancestors were doing, even things like, you know, the blue zone, people are living to, to um, you know, 100 plus, the sanitarians, you know, they're including mm-hmm. a lot of these kind of like whole foods, whole plants in their diet. So. Yeah, it's about looking at the large populations that have been thriving and seeing how that contrasts to some of the messages we may be hearing on social media.
0: Mm -hmm, For sure. In just a second, we're going to talk a little bit about like nutritional templates for gut health, and then we'll get into some supplements and things like that. But I'm curious, if someone that's listening is, is experiencing digestive problems, what where do you recommend that they start looking? Because there's a lot of different facets. You've got you've got stomach acid production and like hypochloridia, mm-hmm. where if their body isn't producing enough stomach acid, that can be a problem. They could experience pain, inflammation. You know, the food can kind of sit heavy in their stomach, and 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 the digestion and and assimilation could be impacted. You've got intestinal permeability that can be from toxins of choice, too much booze, eating the wrong foods. Some of the toxins we talked about earlier, you've got microbial overgrowths, you've got food sensitivities, you've got a lack of diversity, nutritional diversity. Where do you start looking from a diagnostic perspective to identify when someone's like, why is my gut effed up? Where do you yeah, start? Yeah, that's a
1: really good one. So, you know, in clinic, I would get them to fill out, I guess, this assessment form essentially, where I look at what is the key issue they're facing. Is it more of things like indigestion, mm-hmm. or is it heartburn, or is it constipation, or is it bloating, um, mm-hmm. and or is it altered stools? And I identify what is that main issue, and then. From mm-hmm. there, I will, I guess I'll take that further and be like, okay, so it's heartburn. So let's do a symptom diary, um, including so you record everything that you're eating for seven days and your symptoms, and I see whether there's correlation between different food categories. Um, mm-hmm. Then I'll do, obviously, some testing. So things like H. pylori, you know, that actually really common can cause ulcers and the, and the heartburn, the reflux. We'll also think, look at things like, you know, um, their weight, you know, are they overweight? We know that actually puts more pressure mm-hmm. on the food pipe that essentially separates the acidic stomach mm-hmm. and their very sensitive esophagus, the food pipe. And um, so, if you've mm-hmm. got too much weight behind you, that really pushes up that trapdoor on the knee gas there. So, it's about, yeah, firstly identifying what is the key issues or what are the key set of issues, the frequency of them, the severity of them, and the correlation in terms of your, um, your diet, but then also your, your lifestyle, the stress, you know, did you have an argument the day that you also had that worst symptom? Um, you know,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: how much sleep did you have that night? Did you not exercise that week? Um, so actually in the first book, Mm -hmm. book, I do have this, um, symptom diary that I get people to complete for seven days, which looks like that. What's,
0: what's the name of your first book? book?
1: Yeah, Love your I'll send you a right, copy. Nice. Um, yeah. But essentially, yeah, it's like a toolkit oh, thank you. Um, where yeah. you can you go through. So it's more of, about getting on top of digestive issues, essentially. So it's, you know, the bloating, the mm-hmm. constipation, the diarrhea, the IBS, the food intolerance, mm-hmm. the IBS, and really yeah, finding the like, root cause of that, as well as I talk about SIBO as well and, and what to do that from a dietary, but also lifestyle
2: management, mm-hmm.
1: because, you know, you can take away a lot of the nutrition for the for the bacteria that are overgrown and that will kill them for a bit. But if you don't fix the underlying cause, they're gonna just crawl back up and then cause it again. Totally. So you're constantly buying all these restrictions.
0: A lot of people see that with with fungal overgrowths and candida. They'll go on a candida diet and they're good as long as they stay on that for the rest of their life.
1: Which has negative effects as well. But
0: as soon as they like eat sugars and carbs. (laughs) Yeah. You're right. Good point. There's a negative effect too. Yeah. They're actually not all right. So so it gets more
1: narrowed down and narrowed down. Um, So you've got to think about what Mm -hmm. can underlying causes and all that sort of stuff. So that's a a whole issue. It's like literally 20% of people are experiencing digestive issues. And you know, no wonder they're looking for all these, they want a solution, I totally get it. And that, that's why I want people to know, actually we do have, you know, clinical trials of humans showing these different strategies actually can work. So, you know, instead of just listening to what Joe Blow said, why don't you, let, you know, look what the evidence is saying and at least try the evidence one. Maybe that wouldn't work for you, but at least it's narrowed down to what's been tried in, you know, thousands of people versus just one person because we're all a little
0: bit different. Yeah, I was actually talking to um talking to a friend like a, a couple weeks ago and there's a saying so she's like 23 and she was mentioning how rampant digestive issues are with girls now, like younger girls. There's a saying that like all young attractive girls have stomach pain. <laughs> and like messed messed up guts and she had like a funny way of saying it i don't remember what the what the line was but that's essentially what it was like every like normal girl every normal young girl like her gut is messed up like that's how rampant this stuff has got and it might be like 20 percent when you take into account everyone but it might even be way higher when you get into some of these younger populations um so it sounds like you're you're saying the answer is not cutting stuff out and, and just, you know.
1: I, w- I would say that uh, there is, you know, based on, I guess, what the the issue is in the severity. So for people who've got really mm-hmm. extreme IBS, for example, like, you know, ultra creeps, the yeah, the yeah. Pain, what I would actually do is for a short period of time, I would reduce down some of these very fermentable carbohydrates. Um, so
2: mm-hmm. I thought,
1: have you heard of the low FODMAP diet before? Yeah. Now that yeah. diet is actually... Yeah quite dangerous to the microbiome um, if it's not done right. Like, mm-hmm. Because it, FODMAPs, most of them, are prebiotic. They feed the gut bacteria. Um, and mm-hmm. so at King's mm-hmm. College in London, we actually do research on the low FODMAP diet, and we've tested the microbiome, and we see that actually it does damage. Um, but it has a short-term therapeutic benefit. Um, so actually what I recommend right. if people can't see, you know, someone trained in that area, is... Um, following this photograph light approach. So, you know, I can send you the details, it's in the book, um, where essentially it's just cutting out the really high fermentable foods. If you've got that really mm-hmm. aggressive gut, you know, you do need to give your gut a bit of rest. You're still having some fight, yes. but if you try like add extra, and you're just gonna, it's just gonna make things worse. So for two to four mm-hmm. weeks, I would get them to cut out the really, really high ones in their diet. And then I would help systematically mm-hmm. reintroduce the different categories to teach their microbiomes to develop those enzymes to more effectively digest them as well as working on that gut-brain axis. So if you just fix on the diet totally, this is still really stressed, uh, which is in a lot of people's mm-hmm. IVs, even if they don't consciously realize it is, um, then you're not going to be able to mm-hmm. absorb that gas.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen cases too where these these short-term, more extreme interventions can be really helpful. There's There's even like the elemental diet. There's people that go to mostly juice for a long period of time to even remove any fiber that their gut has to deal with and then and then in 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 also doing some of the stuff you mentioned like yoga and hypnosis and meditation and some of these things that like balance the autonomic nervous system and can like move people out of fight or flight and then that puts the body oftentimes in a position where we it, it has more energy to allocate towards digestive processes and we can handle more foods, you know, and, and be a little bit more resilient in, in that capacity. Um, so I like that, but yeah, it's not, the answer is not to do that indefinitely. It's to figure out, okay, I've been for a long time, chronically stressed, or, you know, this, this, you got to also look at things on a soul level, you know, if you hate your job and every day you're dreading going to work, that's going to affect your health in every facet. If you're in a relationship where you feel trapped or the other person doesn't honor you or whatever it is, that's going to affect your health. Like part of this journey, I believe is us having a the courage to truly take inventory of our life and be radically honest with ourselves, you know, like the, the, when we're, when we're lying to ourselves or trying to ignore things and, and turn a blind eye to the problems, it will manifest in, in, you know, the spiritual manifests in the physical.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I could not agree with that more. Um, and you know, the extreme version of that is, is those gut feelings. So, you know, if you are really nervous, yeah, you feel it, there you go. if you just take that back a little bit, a low level of nervousness, you might not necessarily physically mm-hmm. feel it, but that is, there's stuff happening there, and that means no matter what you're putting into your body, it's not digesting it right, um, and there is going to be, mm-hmm. you know, that poor digestion, that malabsorption of key nutrients, and you're not going to, you know, function at your best.
0: One hundred percent. So let's talk like from a nutritional template perspective. Like what are some of the dietary recommendations that you had mentioned things like reintroducing foods, but doing it very, very slowly. And, and I've even heard this example where there's a lot of people that are, are very sensitive to dairy, especially commercial dairy. But I've heard of cases where people will get like, like raw milk. And I haven't personally done this or told someone to do it just for conversation. sake, they would go get like legit, like raw milk and they would introduce like a half of a teaspoon. And then if they felt okay, then like three quarters of a teaspoon and slowly build up to where they could have, where they're putting some of those Bacteria back in their gut. And then all of a sudden, they were better able to handle dairy and they didn't experience the same reactions. Now, I'm not asking for like your thoughts on that. I'm just giving it as, as an example, but like, is that the path with legumes and some of these other plants that a lot of people have cut out? Is it start bringing back in the biodiversity? And like, what's the nutritional template that you believe? What are the things that we should all have in our diet? What are some of these 30 foods that you mentioned that all of us should be eating if we want to optimize yeah, look, our gut health? There
1: is essentially six different plant based foods groups i call them the super six because i love a jingle um, so you've got your whole grains, your nuts and seeds your fruit your veg your legumes and your herbs and your spices now each different category mm. does contain a different array of not just the fibers but those phytochemicals um, and that's why we see in the scientific studies that people who cut out one of these super six do seem to not have that really diverse range of bacteria because each category does mm. feed them now, you know, we think of like the, the whole grain, you know, example. I'm not saying we have to go and eat processed bread or, you know, brown processed bread. I'm talking about whole grains like, you know, the quinoa and the buckwheats, the ones that actually look like you've just gotten them, you know, um, from, the, from the garden sort of thing, that real whole version. So my first recommendation is for people to think about or look at their diet that day and go, have I gotten something from mm-hmm. each of the super six? Or is there a category mm. that actually I don't really have much of um, and I don't have much of it because maybe it doesn't necessarily agree with me? And if that's the case, I say, you know what, let's work on that because they're probably the group of bacteria that are really missing from your microbes. And maybe that bacteria is the one that's mm-hmm. more likely to you know, support your um Hormonal health. We know that our microbes are really important for estrogen regulation, for example. Um, you know, as well as things like your skin health and all of that sort of stuff. So it's about looking which one you might be lacking, and then I would recommend literally, if for example, if it's the beans, it would be just a tablespoon a day in your diet for the first week. See so how you go. Feel all good. Second week, good two tablespoons. You know, if you feel good after a couple of days, mm-hmm. you can ramp it up to three tablespoons and, and go kind of at your own speed. But it's kind of about that level. Now, if you do mm-hmm. one tablespoon, like, well, no, the gut issues are there. I would say, okay, let's cut it down to half a tablespoon. Um, let's not get you down um, or let's not let that get you down. But then also I want to check mm-hmm. that you are not having a really stressed tummy because what I do find, even subconsciously, what I do find is people who – really can't tolerate even a tablespoon of these legumes, there is likely this strangulation from the enteric nervous system that's occurring. So if you can, you know, taking that five minutes out to do the diaphragmic breathing, you know, pour in and you really like expand your tummy as you do it. And then you you uh, deflate your tummy and then you breathe, you know, back out your nose for four seconds and doing that sort of thing, especially about five minutes before a meal can help with that tolerance Um, because the bacteria are going to produce that gas um, and the gas is just that natural fermentation that that occurs. They produce all these other beneficial chemicals, but that gas can either come out the back end um, or get trapped in your gut, but actually if you've got a really functional gut, what happens with most of the gas is it doesn't come out the back end or get trapped. It goes through your gut lining into your blood and you breathe it out. That's how breath tests work. But when you've got that stressed mm. gut, the the um, gut lining not permeable to that gas, so it literally gets trapped or comes out the back end, and that's you know one of the the issues where people get those horrible symptoms that turns them off. So really tapping into that gut brain now. Mm-hmm. is key.
0: Interesting. Yeah, we've had there were times in the past where we had clients with very um, severe and long term gut stuff going on, and we were micromanaging a lot. And from probiotics to prebiotics to digestive enzymes and betaine HCL and all this stuff, and then it was like when they started when they started meditating and and had a consistent meditation practice, they'd like meditate for like something simple, like twenty minutes twice a day for a certain period of time, and then they're like, oh yeah, it all went away. It was like everything that we were trying to micromanage when they just regulated their nervous system and and kind of restored balance between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. It was like all those things went away. So it's, it's sort of like the meta hack that supersedes everything and really simplifies the process. Your, your gut being off could be a, a, a beautiful blessing and a sign that your nervous system is just dysregulated and you're super stressed and your body's like, yo, you need this. I mean, to this. you know,
1: in some ways I think that people with digestive issues actually it, it like you said, it's a bit of a blessing in disguise because, you know, some people without digestive issues, you know, they may have all these other things going on and they don't think of their gut because they're not getting digestive issues. But we know that, you know, having a healthy gut doesn't just mean the absence of gut symptoms. You know, a lot of people I see don't have any issues. So they think with their gut, but we start to focus on their gut health, and they go, oh, actually, my rheumatoid arthritis is starting to improve. Or actually, with this one of my psychiatrist, mm-hmm. I've come off some of my antidepressants. Um, so, you know, mm-hmm. there's kind of two ways of thinking about digestive symptoms. Sometimes it's like it sucks, it's painful, it's horrible, but that then gets you to reevaluate, you know, all elements of your life mm-hmm. and therefore you probably will probably you know, add a few extra healthy years to your life via, you know take that time out to have the intervention.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, okay. Let's talk about like, what, what are some of, oh, I guess before you, before we move on, what are your thoughts? So many people doing carnivore now that are like just eating meat. And I know, from, I mean, people message us on like social media platforms and this, and they're like, oh, I've been doing, you know, strict carnivore. And some people tell me they feel great. And I'll hear from other people that they tried it and, you know, stopped after a couple of weeks because they felt so horrible. But from a gut perspective, what's your take on, on the carnivore diet? know so
1: that on the carnivore diet, you're going to be malabsorbing some of the protein. So most protein, when you're having it in, you know, a normal portion Amongst fruit, veg, plants, all that sort of stuff, most of it gets absorbed high up that nine metre digestive tract. Gets broken down to the amino acids, get into your blood Mm -hmm. to feed the muscles, all the rest of it. But when you're on a carnivore diet, you know you're having such large amounts that actually a lot of it gets malabsorbed and makes its way into that final part of the intestine called the large intestine. As I mentioned, that's where there's trillions of bacteria live. Mm -hmm. Now, when the bacteria ferment protein they do produce a range of potentially carcinogenic products like trimethylamine oxide. That was one of the elements we looked in my PhD, um, which is thought to you know, have all of these kind of inflammatory uh, effects attached to it. And same with like bowel cancer. There's mm-hmm. all of these types of um, protein-related chemicals that have been produced by the bacteria that are thought to trigger things like the bowel cancer. Mm-hmm. For example, when the heme iron, the um, iron in meat, Gets digested by the bacteria because you eat such large amounts of it. Again, some of that's thought to be a carcinogen. Um, so that is just I guess looking mm-hmm. at, at that, you know, that scientific evidence, which you know, the the effects of those inflammatory particles actually don't really have that measurable impact for often like a decade or so. So, you know, people might feel good because, hey, you know what? They've cut out a lot of these processed foods. They might have lost weight and they were overweight. So, that they've cut mm-hmm. out some probably negative things. Um, and so, they are feeling like good mm-hmm. because of that, right? But I just want people
0: to. Right. It's sort of like a different version of what we were talking about earlier in, in, that, well, I in mean, that example. Absolutely.
1: That, you know, it's the, yeah. yeah. You know, what, what's the worst? You know, the studies around. Um, uh, what are they, like saturated mm. fat, for example, you know, you go on about saturated fat, you know, it was always demonized and now it's not as bad as what it was. But a lot of the, the studies was looking at replacement mm-hmm. studies. Like, you know, if you replace um, saturated animal fat with something like an olive oil, then actually you certainly, you know, mm-hmm. reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease. But if you replace the saturated fat with sugary carbs, white carbs, then actually you could increase your risk mm-hmm. um, of, of cardiovascular disease. So it's yeah. about like what you're replacing it with and you know, what's the devil and all that sort of stuff. So often yeah. because they're cutting out a lot of these processed foods, you know, they are going to feel better. But I think we just need to start looking mm-hmm. at the long term. And probably when you're younger, you might not think mm-hmm. about what's going to happen in ten or twenty years. Um, but we need to just look at the observational studies and do show that people who have a large amounts of meat, you know, they are at a higher risk of Um, you know, cardiovascular disease and colon cancer. Um, And, you know, if you look at people who live in the blue zones, the sedentarians, you know, the bulk of them do not live on meat-only diets. There's plenty of plants in their diet. So Mm -hmm. I think it's about looking to who you want to emulate, essentially, when you're older and what, what have they been doing. And, yes, maybe you'll get a few really rare people in the world who have brilliant lives without their microbes and there's other things going on in their body. But I think for the average person, you know, you and I, there is evidence out there highlighting that neglecting the needs, the plant needs and our microbes can have those long-term negative consequences.
0: Yes. And I think that just, and, and this is just from my experience and, and everything that I've learned when we start trying to micromanage too much stuff, it rarely works out. And oftentimes nutritionally, if if we're eating things the way that nature made them, it's pretty safe to say that diversity works in our favor. And and then when you look at like I mean every client we're looking at blood labs in 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 pretty uh, a high level of detail. And there's a lot of men, especially, that have some form of hemochromatosis, high iron levels, and a lot of those guys aren't even doing carn like full carnivore. I can only imagine if you're eating meat, even if it's grass-fed and you're eating it two or three times a day in super high quantities, what type of oxidation could be happening long-term at the cellular level? People that are genetically or whatever, environmentally predisposed to having high levels of iron already, what what that's going to do. And there have been a few cases where um, we've had a couple people on the podcast that a lot of their clients do carnivore, and they're seeing like, like regardless of what you think of the information on cholesterol, um, and, and there's I know there's information on both sides of the scientific literature, but when you see cholesterol levels that are like 4x the upper limit, that's kind of alarming. And, and we've never, even if you go back in history and say, well, like there, there was the Inuit culture and they ate like a ton of like meat and this and that, like, yeah, were they sit next to a Wi-Fi router all day and like drinking, you know, drinking chlorinated water. Like, no, they were like hunting and spending time in- interacting with family and like, they lived a completely different life. We've never seen this, you know? So it's, it's not comparing and, and apples the, to the, apples
1: like and the life I'm not, yeah. right? so, you know, They weren't living to 100 plus because of the environment, all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. I love that. That synergistic effect Mm -hmm. of life, you know, it's not something we've ever seen before because, you know, we're all exposed to so much technology in amongst these sorts of ways of eating. So, yeah, I completely agree.
0: Yeah. And I'm not for or against carnivore. I just ask these questions and because like, if, if, if I had to decide from everything that I, I I have seen and believe in my heart to be true, it seems like diversity when it's natural foods works in our favor. Um, What what supplements are worth paying attention to when it comes to the gut? There's a lot of information on like a good colostrum from grass fed cows for repairing intestinal permeability and 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 um, leaky gut. A lot of people take probiotics. There's it seems like it depends a lot on which one you're taking, whether it actually works and 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 makes a difference versus is just a waste of money. There's Saccharomyces boulardii, apple cider vinegar. Like what should we pay attention to? And what are some of your favorite gut I think if you're struggling
1: with digestive issues, so for example, um, diarrhea and constipation, there is a great fiber called psyllium husk, which actually doesn't get fermented by a gut bacteria, which is very unique. And it is quite amazing. It's got a dual effect. So it really helps relaxation if you're struggling with constipation, Um, but also it helps thicken up stools if you've got diarrhea. So I really do recommend if you are struggling in there to add a bit of psyllium on your breakfast or put it in your tea, um, and and see how that that makes you feel. Um, but yeah. So what's I mean, the dosage for that? Depending on, on how sensitive their gut is, maybe half a tablespoon. Um, but you can go up to three tablespoons. And actually, we just did a clinical trial at Kings where we did um, five tablespoons um, of of the psyllium husk
0: per uh, per day, so or in kids. one setting. So
1: if you've got a sensitive gut, I would break per it day? up um, across two settings. Um, but if you've got, you know, a resilient gut, you can just dump it all in the one. Um, so, silly Oops. mask is really great. Also, peppermint oil capsules is good evidence for those with cramps. So, IBS has mm. got the cramping um, because the peppermint oil actually has this antispasmodic effect on our small, smooth muscle in the stomach. So, that is another one therapeutically has that mm. has that role. Now, probiotics is a really interesting one. Um, now, you know yeah. the media is saying we should all take one one week next week they're saying they a waste of your money the truth is kind of in between um i think mm-hmm. we've got this whole world of probiotics very confused and misunderstood we need to start thinking of them therapeutically mm-hmm. kind of like you know vitamins and minerals so you're not going to take iron a supplement if you've got a vitamin d deficiency i.e. Um, because they're different mm-hmm. things. They do different mm-hmm. things in our body. The same with probiotics. We need to make sure we're taking the exact right bacteria or yeast that's had that clinical benefit. And we need to take it at the right dose for the mm-hmm. right duration um, and the right way, whether it's in the fastest or or with food, to have that benefit. Um so when I was writing the first book, like mm-hmm. that, I got my colleagues from King's to review the scientific evidence around probiotics and come up with like, where have there been these meta-analyses where they essentially pulled together all individual studies and suggested overall the body of evidence says we should take a probiotic. So where, where is that? And they came up with seven areas where there's good um, evidence. And then they came up with these probiotic prescriptions where they recommended um, the, the, te- the type uh, as well as the dose, Duration, etc. So, an example of that um, is if you have to take antibiotics for whatever reason. There is actually really good scientific evidence that you should take what you said, the sarcomyces pullates, type of use, you'll take it throughout your antibiotic period at a dose of five billion units twice a day, and you'll take it for a week after. Um, now that sounds quite therapeutic, right? that's the way we have to treat probiotics if we want that benefit. There's no point taking, you know, any Mm -hmm. super high dose, super functional ones unless they've actually shown in a clinical trial to have the benefit that you're after. So like some of the areas we looked at um, Mm -hmm. was things like acne, for example, and the clinical trials out there had shown there was no benefits. There wasn't a particular bacteria that I would recommend for acne yet. That could change. Um, you know, the research mm-hmm. in terms of testing different bacteria for different functions, you know, is ongoing. We just haven't gotten that right combination yet.
0: They they do often recommend yeah, antibiotics exactly. for acne, yeah. though.
1: That's a really interesting. So, the first line <laughs> therapy medically is topical antibiotics, then it's oral antibiotics um, for acne. Uh, but mm-hmm. there is this really, you know, new and exciting area. of called our skin microbiome. So, you know, maybe not surprising for those who are more into this world, we've got the gut microbiome, there's trillions of microbes there. We also have the second skin of billions of microbes. Um, and we know that, that they're causing the acne, right? Um, yes, we've got genetic factors which to mm-hmm. different types of microbes. That's how the antibiotics work. But the school that uh, of like, the dermatology world is now starting to change and go, you know what? We know that these antibiotics long-term long can cause antibiotic resistance on our skin and therefore cause more inflammation mm-hmm, acne mm-hmm. in the long term. So what we need to look at is the right topical probiotic to put on to rebalance that, mm. that kind of flora, that microbiome, um, to make them less likely to mm-hmm. deter, cause the, the acne. So, it, yeah, the skin microbiome is fascinating. Mm-hmm.
0: Do we have the technology now cuz like what you, you mentioned was a very interesting point you wouldn't take like iron for a vitamin D deficiency do we have the technology now to map out or like what is the most robust technology in mapping out what bacteria we have and don't have in the gut and are there people doing that and then recommending probiotics and prebiotics based on that test or, or are we just I not mean, there I yet? I
1: wish we were there and there are certainly companies that are trying to make us think we are there scientifically um, but you know I work yeah, in the cutting edge research studies where we're trying to find out this we're trying to find out what are the key missing microbiome mm-hmm. components but we just don't know enough but mm-hmm. you know the commercial world is like oh this makes a really good you know company idea right send away for example Send away plenty of mm-hmm. money. We'll tell you which microbes you're missing, but that's you know we just don't have the science for that to actually be clinically relevant. And also, it's I growing. I like
0: what I like what they're yeah, doing. Okay. I just I also what agree. What they're with doing,
1: you. and I think in a decade we'll probably be there. Yeah. But we need to keep in mind that identical bacteria yeah. can act very different in different environments. So just because you know that you've got, mm-hmm. you know, bifidobacterium lactis-20134 strain doesn't mean we know how that's functioning in you because it could be be bad within you and your environment, but it could, in the person down the road, have the exact same strain of bacteria in you but be magical because it's in a different environment and functions. differently. Mm-hmm. kind of like humans, right? You know, in certain environments we can be really fun and mm-hmm. nice. In other environments, if we're not fed and we're hungry and sleep, we can be complete assholes. Same with these microbes.
0: So yeah, I wish you know, make my job easier. If these tests worked, we just just not. Yeah, right. I agree. I agree. Awesome. Last question, then we'll kind of land the plane. Um, So your your two books are "Love Your Gut" and "How to Eat More Plants: Transform Your Health with 30 Plant-Based Foods Per Week" and why it's easier than you think. So, guys, if if you've been enjoying. The value that Dr. Megan has been sharing on this podcast, go pick up those books, send her a message on social media and let her know. And um, that's that's one of the best ways to like let people know that you really appreciate them sharing their time and and wisdom and energy with us. Um I'm curious, Dr. Megan, like if if are there a couple of recipes that you find yourself going to time and time again? Like, what are some of your best bang for the buck ways to integrate? more vegetables and healthy foods yeah, look, to feed our gut into your life
1: my, my favorite recipe that i make on repeat is my spinach and ricotta stuffed pasta shells um so like we're saying i've got italian heritage like you Ooh. do as well so you know we always used to go to my my um nana's and nana's house at, at the farm and we would make ravioli there um and it was always just such an amazing mm. experience i loved it but then you know I grew up and, you know, didn't have all the resources to make pasta from scratch and all that sort of stuff. And also it was more attuned to the gut microbiome. So instead of actually making the ravioli, I've just put the pasta shells that you stuff it with. Much easier, more convenient, the 10 minutes of the kitchen type room. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've also done is actually taken out half of the cheese. Still got cheese in it, still the flavor. But I've added a can of mixed beans to yeah. it, blended up like to so the mixed legumes. Okay. Um, and also added in peas to it, frozen peas. Um, and what that mm. does is not only makes it way more creamier and like the higher level of like flavor profile, but also you've added loads of prebiotics to mm-hmm. the food. and then the base of that is like this rich sun-dried tomato, mm. garlicky and onion kind of base. So that's definitely something I make on repeat, um, at home. And then I do. Yeah
0: sounds delicious. Is that, is that, or are you doing organic pasta or gluten-free pasta or any special type of pasta or not worried about it?
1: um, Just from my local market, there's a lady who actually makes it, um, which is amazing. um, Oh, nice. Yeah. um, I mean, you know, it's a challenging world that we live in because we know if we can get things made from scratch, it's got to be better. Um, but, you know, if people don't have access to that, totally. I think having, you know, uh, some shelves, if you think in the context of your whole diet, if you're adding in some plants, we're probably not going to be hugely, you know, inflammatory sort of thing. Um,
0: and then this can of mixed legumes. Yeah, what, just, what, what's so in that? It's got
1: the chickpeas, it's got the butter beans, it's got the kidney beans, and it's got the cannelloni beans in it, and just in spring water. So just the one to get from the. Oh, store. cool. Um, but make sure it's not in any syrup okay. or um, you know salt or anything like that. So just completely you know natural. Um, okay. Yeah, really easy nice. and you know affordable as well. So it actually makes the recipe much cheaper because you know these beans yeah. are going to be cheaper than the cheese. Um, and I think that sort of yeah. element of of the beans is, is worth considering, particularly when we're facing like this huge increase in cost of living, you know, food is getting expensive.
0: Totally. Totally. Nice. That's and that's your go-to. Any anything else that you'd want to share with our listeners? Or
1: yeah, can, no, no. Can, also, in there, go I've got the, the um, stir fry veggies <laughs> which essentially is just like the building blocks um, for a ten-minute stir fry. So it's you, you pick your protein of choice, whether you want to go, you know, a meat, chicken, you know, tofu, or one of your your legumes. Um, then you pick your veg, and I was going just a stir mm-hmm. fry pre-cut mix. Then you pick your grain. You know, you can do something
0: yeah, like, I like, that to too. like
1: a sourdough or whether you want to go something like a wheat berry or quinoa, buckwheat. You kind of choose from the list from that. And then you make your sauces. So I've got the five different mm-hmm. really quick um sauces. One's, one's Italian, one's Indian, one's Thai, um, one's Indian, and one is – God, what was the other one? I can't think of the other one. Anyway, there's a fifth one. Um, and they literally take – you know, three mm-hmm. minutes to mix some very simple flavors. So I always have these five jars time um, in the, in the fridge. And, you know, on those busy days, I literally just, you know, get a tablespoon of each and just put it, you know, in my fry and make that up. And for me, convenience wins out because Lovely. You know, I just don't have that time. Like you said, to totally in the kitchen.
0: I love it. I love it. Um, Dr. Megan Rossi, thank you so much for doing this. This has been a fun conversation. And I think there's a lot of value for our listeners. And guys, if you've appreciated this conversation, go pick up Dr. Megan's books. You've got her website, which is theguthealthdoctor.com. And you've got Love Your Gut, her first book. And then you've got How to Eat More Plants, Transform Your Health with 30 Plant-Based Foods per Week and Why It's Easier Than You Think, all available on Amazon. And um Yeah, thank you, Dr. Megan. We appreciate your time and wisdom.
1: Such a fun conversation, thanks
0: for having me. So in early 2022, almost out of nowhere, I started experiencing massive changes in my body and mental health. My hair was thinning and falling out faster than ever before. I was experiencing mood fluctuations. I was putting on body fat, losing strength and muscle mass. I was even having a harder time remembering certain people's names and things that I knew I knew. My face looked older and I had more wrinkles and there was a noticeable decrease in my sex drive. And then one of the guests that I had on our podcast introduced me to a product called BioPro Plus that naturally boosts your IGF-1 and human growth hormone levels. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and check out episode 265 on how to increase HGH, boost libido, and experience 68% better recovery with Dustin Baker. Biopro Plus contains a combination of powerful, natural ingredients for boosting HGH, human growth hormone, and IGF-1, like elk antler, tribulus, and shilajit, all in their purest and most potent forms. What's interesting is elk antlers are the only mammalian appendage capable of continuous regeneration. These antlers grow an inch or more per day and have the fastest growth rate of any organ in the animal kingdom. I started taking one glass vial every morning and holding it under my tongue for 90 seconds before swallowing. And before I'd even finished my first kit, I was getting compliments on my skin and how I looked five to 10 years younger. You can even go back and look at some of my social media videos from earlier this year and you'll see how big of a difference there is. Since then, my energy has increased. I feel more motivated. My libido and sex drive came back. I've been losing fat. I'm stronger and recovering faster from my workouts. And my hair is coming in thicker and it even stopped falling out. If my story resonates with you, I highly recommend you try Biopro Plus for yourself. When you feel it, you'll understand what I'm talking about. And for a limited time, you can save $30 on your order by going to bioproteintech.com and entering discount code BIOHACKS. That's B I O P R O T E I N T E C H.com and discount code BIOHACKS.